we're gonna look at it today. I find what has been fun and enjoyable as a church family has been walking through over several weeks now the different conversations that the, the disciples had with Jesus. And the time frame is a familiar time frame, 40 days or so. It's been six weeks since, since Resurrection Sunday. And so in the same way that they had all sorts of experiences with Christ, so we have been doing different things. And so let me ask you this. like, What have you experienced over the last six weeks? How have you encountered Jesus in a profound way since Easter Sunday? Is there anything that stands out? As we think about the disciples, there's a bunch. You have Thomas. I mean, he's a skeptic. He becomes a, a full-on believer as a disciple of Christ. You've got somebody like Peter, who was restored uh, despite all the embarrassment of his denial. You have the story of Mary Magdalene, which we didn't preach on, but that's in there in which she is overwhelmed with grief that her Savior was crucified. And then he meets her and rejuvenates her soul and allows her to see what he is doing. Uh, You have the disciples who were out in the boat and they experienced another miraculous catch of fish and they had all this fish. Uh, You had the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were walking, and then Jesus met them and uh, taught them the scriptures. So they encountered Jesus over all that time. How about you? I mean, I I didn't prompt you with that weeks ago. I almost wish I did. But hey, here we are, six weeks later. Have you encountered Christ in a profound way or an unexpected way or a unique way? I know for myself, I have... Uh, been working through this character study on Moses in the Old Testament using a, a great book. It's not a devotional, but I'm using it like one. And that's really helped me personally since Easter. Um, I, uh, it's not spiritual, but the last six weeks, something that's been in my life has been uh, uh, taking care of those kittens that I told you about at Easter. They're bigger now. Just today, I woke up and the, the stripping of our door, our outside door, had been eaten away like the first six inches. I'm like, great, I gotta buy that. Now these things are costing me money, right? <laughs> uh, so spiritually speaking, uh, a little more on that side, I've experienced a pretty uh, uh, obvious and relentless attack from the enemy since probably about Easter, maybe, maybe two weeks after that or so. So the last four weeks or so. And uh, that's just been relentless. That's interesting. And uh, has really filled my mind with a lot of confusion that I've had to just been diligent, you know, uh, about. As a church, there's been a lot of things going on uh, the last six weeks. We were able to baptize four guys last week. That was awesome. Wait, was it last week? Wait, last week, the week before? I don't even know. Was it two weeks ago? I don't know. That was awesome. Uh, we baptized Bo and then Jordan. And Nick and Tim, what a wonderful time for us to celebrate them. And uh, if you haven't got to know them, I encourage you to ask them a little bit about their story. Uh, Also, as a church family, uh, on the side of sorrow, there have been five family members who have passed away. Um, One within our church, and then the other four whose family members are in our church and all of them are touching dozens of families in our, in our church family because of just who, who these people are. Many of them are uh, in heaven with Christ. And uh, I don't really know how it works, you know, if they're like, hey, what's Legacy doing right now? But th- 
there's that celebration of recognizing where they are. I'm reminded of Romans 12, 15, which says, mourn with those who mourn. And as a church family, we do mourn with you all. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Joel from Kenya. He came and he spoke and charged us well. Uh, he got the record for the longest sermon preached at Legacy Church. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a great time. So, you know, what has gone on in your life? It could be practical, it could be spiritual. Perhaps you've graduated from school. Maybe you had your birthday. You know, maybe you got a new job, whatever it might be. Maybe there's something more spiritual. I know the days... And the weeks, they pass by quickly, but in these short windows of time, we can have powerful encounters with God. And the disciples did in this period of time. And for us as well, maybe we're looking back over the uh, last six weeks and we could say, you know, I, I experienced God's strengthening or his direction or his provision in a way that I have never experienced before. And very similar, the disciples here in this time, wandering around, wondering, okay, so they've seen Jesus now, and now he's teaching them, but there's still a kind of a sense of um, confusion. There really is. Now we have Jesus who is having this final conversation with them, these last instructions. So to prompt us into reading these instructions, and we're going to read all five accounts of them. Let me start with this question I have for you. I read in this devotional by Paul David Tripp. I like his stuff, and he wrote this. He said, what could be a greater, higher honor than to be a chosen instrument for the most important renewal project in the universe, known as redemption? To help us remember the commission, or call it the instructions from Jesus before he went to heaven, before he ascended, Let's read over all these passages. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation. As we do this, I encourage you to read these and, and maybe there is one of the five. There's, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Maybe one of these books, there's one that really stands out to you the most. Or maybe there's even a word or a phrase that stands out. I encourage you to pay attention. Look for the, even the themes that cross uh, that go across these. Usually we'll stick with one of these passages on a, on a given Sunday. This week I really feel led to work through all five. So we're gonna just read them all and see the similarities. And then I'm also gonna help us to draw our attention to one specific thing. So let me pray for us and then we will read this. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we read your word, you would use it as a means to instruct us. Almost as if we were the disciples hearing this in real time from Jesus himself. As if we're standing there and we're getting the words and then we're seeing him ascend. Lord, to the degree that is possible, I pray that you would allow us now. We're gonna read all these and I pray that you would lead us. Uh, this is your word. You have preserved these instructions. You, you made sure it was in all the gospel accounts and in Acts. There is no doubt that this is what was said and there is no, no question. This is not an optional thing. This is not a recommendation that Jesus gave. This was his command and the disciples took hold of it. And Lord, I pray we would as well. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so let's look, uh, let's look in uh, Matthew 18, or 28. We'll start Matthew 28. I'm gonna read a little bit uh, around it. We're starting verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples... Uh, they left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
Remember there was 11 because Judas had left. Uh, Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Very interesting. That shows just this lingering doubt that occurred until the day of Pentecost, but we'll get to that more next week. Verse 18, then it says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I love this phrase. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, that's Matthew's account. Let's keep moving. We'll look at Mark 16. I'm gonna read a lengthier passage with this and not just the one verse that describes it. Verse 14 starts off. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. That's likely referring to the few that went to the tomb and saw that he had raised from the dead. He's not there. They went back and reported it and the ones in the room were like, I don't believe it until I see it. You know, we usually think just Thomas did that. Well, the others were also guilty to a certain extent with that kind of thinking. Well, verse 15 says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And he says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. Whoa, whoa. Oh, usually don't read that in here. Heard that where I grew up. And this is, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples, they went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. All right, that's Mark's account. Now let's look at Luke's account. Starting, uh, it's chapter 24. That's a huge chapter because it begins with the resurrection. But by now we're in verse 46. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. I'm gonna pause there just to ask, if you were in the room and you'd say you're not a believer in Jesus Christ or you're wondering what does it mean to believe in Jesus as the savior of the world, this is the phrase that describes it quite succinctly, that he would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. Do you believe that? Friends, if you do not believe that, then you are not in right standing with God. And you can't just stand before him and say, well, you know, I was really nice. And that person asked me for a ride and I gave it to them that one day. That's not how it works. Do you believe in Jesus? Has he paid for your sin? So it continues here. Jesus says, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. 
Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him, and, they, and, and then they returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. All right, so that's Luke's account. This is John's account, starting, this is in chapter 20. Now there's 21 chapters in John, but if you back up a chapter in chapter 20, but starting in verse 21, you see a little, kind of a very short, just John drops it in there. Everyone else has a bigger story with it, but John's is a little more direct in verse 21. That's all it is, but I'm gonna read three verses. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. This is verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, so that's in John's account. And then last account is Acts. Acts chapter one, starting in verse four. It says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, it's like, we've all done that, looking really intently, looking into the sky for something that maybe like my daughter, she lost a balloon and like was flying up, right? It was, it was like a tragedy, right? There goes a balloon in the sky. Anyway, so we're staring at it for as long as you possibly can see. <clears throat> so as they're looking, in, um, they're looking at him rising into heaven, it says two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right, that's the end of our different passages. These are wonderful passages. Even reading them over and over again allows my own heart, even right now, to have a sense of peace, a sense of joy. There's purpose there. There's, there's this, I don't know, an, a, a, a holy optimism that comes with the reality of what we have been charged with. And of all the verses that we just read, there is one word that leaps off the page. I'm not sure for you, uh, maybe it's food. We read that three or four times. I noticed that one. They, were, they ate a lot of food. Maybe it's the, the snake part. Uh, maybe it's, uh, oh, who knows? It could be a bunch of things. But the one that I want us to focus on is the word you, Y-O-U. Like, you know, you and me, that kind of you. And specifically, John 20, 21 has it in this verse, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then think about how that is used in all these other passages too. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses to the entire world. And then <clears throat> the word you, <clears throat> or the idea of you, is also implied in like 
Matthew 28, the, the famous Great Commission passage, the one we read at the beginning where it says, therefore you go and then you preach and you baptize and you teach in my name. And then Mark 16, you go into all the world and you preach the gospel to the whole creation. And then even the angels, when they were standing among the disciples, when they're staring into heaven, this implied, why are you, or no, it says, why are, are you standing here, staring around into the sky? This word, you, is unmistakable from Jesus' instructions. And everyone that I have read on this over the years, uh, they continually describe how these words, this commission known as the Great Commission, it applies not only to the disciples who heard this face-to-face with Jesus, but it extends to every subsequent generation of Christians. And so sometimes like in church theology, people want to bicker about things and say like this only applies to those folks and not to other folks today. And there's debates on different topics. Well, when it comes to the Great Commission, nobody's sitting around saying, hey, that was for the disciples, but we get to just live however we want. No, like the command was true for them and it is true for us today. So you could appropriately even add your name, if it's helpful, add your name in those instructions when it comes to who we are and what we are called to do. For instance, John 20, 21, as I read, as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends you, right? Sends me, Adam, to be his testifier who will go into all creation and preach and baptize and teach. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a sent person. What a wonderful characteristic. You are commissioned. You are his instrument to preach and baptize and teach. This is not based on your own authority or your own gifting or your own passions. This is compassion that God has given you and pushed in your heart and he has uh, instilled it in you. This is gifting that has come from the Holy Spirit and Jesus, you know, depending on how you're looking at it, in which he has called you to be his instrument. And this is a commissioning, very much like being an ambassador for an, another nation. I'm not sure if any of you have been an ambassador. I don't believe so, or I would probably know that. But those who are, if I understand it correctly, they are not there on their own authority. They're on the authority of the nation or the leader of that nation who has sent them. And as they are there, they are functioning and they are speaking on behalf of the authority that has sent them. And you and I are, according to 2 Corinthians 5, ambassadors on behalf of Christ. And you don't have to play gymnastics with words to figure out what does that mean. We are a sent people. The people of God's kingdom are sent people. And that is the greatest and most honorable task to being part of God's kingdom. God didn't save you with a picture of Jesus in the clouds or the word Jesus in your alphabet like cereal when you were a kid. He saved you by somebody telling you about who he was and your heart changing. And in the same way, God wants to use you to communicate that same gospel message to others so that they would also receive it. This is from Romans 10, 14. It says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how are they to believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You are and I am the people God uses to tell others about who Jesus Christ is. We are to testify in the same way as if we were standing right there when he ascended 
And then the angels are like, hey, what are you doing standing around? Go get to it. Well, in the same way that they were testifying, they said, listen, I saw Jesus. He resurrected. He, he walked us through these passages to instruct us on these matters. Well, they told a generation, you know, their kids or their neighbors or their friends or their coworkers, and other people told them, and then more people told, like, their kids, and over the generations, passing around the world, and we, as believers today, are recipients of that message being passed on from, from uh, person to person, eventually to us. We are called to do likewise. I think the idea of being a sent person can feel overwhelming because we tend to think it only occurs or at best occurs in formal church ministry settings. Like if we do an outreach project uh, where we will serve a, uh, either a person's, you know, somebody who needs help at their home as a whole church will go and serve a bunch of people, maybe on a mission trip. We think like, yeah, that's being sent. And it's true that it is being sent. But what is unfortunate is you are a sent person every day. Yeah. I mean, like right now is a little bit of a huddle for us to like regroup and then go back out. But even at lunch today, you're a sent person. You, you are functioning with a commission from Christ himself. As you were saved, so lead others into salvation. As as Jesus was sent by the Father, so he sends us into the world. And instead of us getting overwhelmed with thinking it has to be like a fancy program, let me just remind us, and I, and I talk on this uh, frequently, so this might sound familiar, but I think it's worth reminding us that rather than thinking of this as being a big program or like a, an arm of the church, this is an everyday part of our life in which where we live where we work, where we play, where we relax, where we function and who we're around, that is where we can be missionaries for Christ day in and day out. And so let us shift our thinking. Uh, let, let's remind ourselves, for instance, where we live. I, I wanna propose to you that you don't live where you live just because it was either land that was given to you or a house that you really liked or it's just a coincidence that thing happened to open up. Perhaps with, a, you know, put your glasses on that say Jesus on them, it would be you are there because you might be the only Christian in that little section or that street or that holler or that mountain or that lake, whatever it is, wherever you live. And God needed you there to be a gospel witness, to be an ambassador. And he, in his mercy, to reach out to those who live nearby, put you there. So you could be a presence, so you could get to know those folks, so you could get to serve them. Perhaps God is preparing you to even start a Bible study among your neighbors, to simply serve them in their time of need, or to pray with them when they are struggling in one way or another. Several of you tell me these stories and I love it because I can only live in one house. So when I, when I hear these stories of where God has you and what he's doing among your neighbors, it's incredibly encouraging. And so let me just remind you, wherever you are living, let's not think it's coincidence and let's not just think it's... Um, 
like a, a me focus. Let's think with a kingdom mind. God put you there. Very similar with work. There's a lot of places you could work. There's all sorts of, several of you have moved here, like either for academics or for military. Well, there's a bunch of schools. There's a bunch of military spaces you could be, but God has brought you here. Is that a coincidence? No. And it's not just to enjoy the mountain views and less traffic, which is great. But it is because God wants to use you. He's got kingdom work for you to do with your coworkers. And you never know what, what might be needed. It could be somebody who's not a Christian and they need for the first time to actually interact with a Christian who's not weird and crazy and like interviewed on the news. Because they always find like the person that's, you know, nuts. It could be for you to be a Christian to encourage the person who used to follow Christ. You know, they are, they, are, they are a believer, but they've been prodigal or wayward or struggling for decades. You know, it's part of their story. And they just don't really know what to do, how to be, how to be picked up. And I think that's actually a lot of folks. And he could be using you as a means to encourage that person of what it looks like to get back in the race and to chase after Christ. You know, think about your hobbies. I said where you live, where you work, where you play or relax. You know, your hobbies, they, they may not just be for yourself. We got a lot of hunters and fishers. We got a lot of those who like baseball and basketball and other sports. I, I am in this off-road Facebook group, which is super funny because um, I... Uh, I don't really know what they're talking about sometimes, but I just kind of act like it and throw pictures and memes in there. Most of the memes are all related to why FJ Cruiser is better than a Jeep, which is like super funny. That's just what they do all the time. So, <laughs> and I just keep doing that stuff. I don't know. But you know, wherever it may be that God has you with your hobbies, and they don't have to all be sports or, or wilderness kind of things, but we interact with folks thousands of folks every week. There's only a few hundred in here, but we interact with thousands every week, if not every day, in the different spaces God has us. And among that, just using statistics without any study, just common sense. There are people, dozens of people, who on that given day or throughout that given week need one of us at a given time to be a spirit-filled, like walking in obedience Christian, one who has peace and love and compassion in their heart to speak words of encouragement or words of truth where there's been mistruth or you know, misinformation or whatever about who Jesus is, and for us to be able to serve them well. It's not rocket science, friends. And God uses us. So do you, do you view yourself as a sent person? Do you recognize that you are somebody who has purpose and mission from Christ. I, I wanna just briefly mention these. I, I think there are a few obstacles to acting like a sent person, and I don't wanna overcomplicate this, but there's four that stand out to me. One is that we get busy with dumb stuff, including silly controversies. We just find ourselves, rather than being diligent with the real mission, you know, purpose number one, we just dabble in purpose number four or five because it's easier, it's more comfortable, it doesn't actually pull from us, it doesn't require faith, it doesn't really require us to 
uh, serve. We just get to sit in our little like prideful throne and dabble and fight about silly controversies. Second Timothy 2, 16 and 17 come to mind. I was listening to this yesterday, uh, the whole book, and it says, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. But it's true. So one is we can get busy with dumb stuff. Uh, second, we could get busy with serious stuff like legalism and addictions. And these are chains that are only fully broken by the power of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.1 says this, so Christ has truly set us free, now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery, uh, slavery to the law. Friends, whether it's slavery to the law or slavery to the flesh, in Christ you are to be a slave to one and that is a slave to Christ. Another way to word this would be a slave to righteousness. We are bound to this, a, a, a bondservant to Christ. And several of us allow ourselves, the, the deception is just there, so you know, there's a sense of compassion I have for you because you don't really know it, you're just being deceived and you're kind of like under this spiritual spell in a sense of getting into the vortex of legalism or addictions and it is like spiritual surrender to the enemy. You're like waving the white flag and just going right to the enemy and he's making you a POW forever and you can't get out. And you're like, oh, it's just for a season. Oh, it's just, you know, I can handle this. No, you can't at all. And you're ruining your, your life and you're sucking the joy out of you. And usually if you're in addictions, you recognize that. In legalism, you don't and you think you're right, but you're totally not. So that's one reason we talk about that topic a lot. It's one of those where in my life, I have... I have been entranced by both of those things and I teach and I preach and I'm passionate about getting free from both of those things because it is so easy and it's so tempting. So again, you could get bogged down in the serious stuff like legalism. Another obstacle is you act like Gideon from the book of Judges. If you recall, Gideon's like hiding in a hole, just doing some stuff and, uh, and he's underestimating his power. God he gives us a commission like he gave to Gideon where he calls us a mighty man of valor or a mighty woman of valor and instead we hang our head and we act like sheepish sheep. I'm reminded of what Joel said a couple weeks ago when he was preaching here, Joel, the, the one from Kenya. He's the only Joel I know, but nonetheless, I feel like I have to qualify who it is. And when he was here in one of the services, he said this phrase, you don't realize what power you have. And he went on to say, the enemy knows the power you have and he tries to deceive you. And if you only knew, then your life in Christ would look totally different. I'm not sure if you recall him talking about that, but that's one idea there. And so rather than acting like Gideon, let us embrace what God does say about us. And then lastly would be fear. And this could tie into the last point, but I think this stands on its own. And this could be fear of anything. When you are sent by God, it is so easy for all of a sudden for you to be like, well, where am I going? What am I doing? What am I gonna say? Well, how am I gonna provide for it? How am I gonna do this? What about my kids? What about my life? Whatever it might be. Like we just come up with all sorts of things. And if we don't come up with them on our own, which it's not hard for many of us to come up with, uh, excuses on our own. But even if we're strong, the enemy puts the excuses and the fear and the doubt in our mind. So it's like, you know, just a whole dousing of that kind of content. Well, let me just remind us of all the different verses. There's several verses on this where it says, the just shall live by faith. If I recall, it's four times in scripture. 
And I love that verse because if we don't live by faith, what alternative do we have? If you're a person of faith, of faith in Jesus Christ, and you don't wanna walk by faith and live by faith, what God-exalting alternative do you have to fill in the blank? It won't be. It's gonna be control. It's gonna be fear. It's gonna be some sort of thing that is more about you or more about the enemy than what God has for you. All right, so those are just four quick obstacles. As I think about this idea with the, uh, with the Great Commission and what this is, and this is, this is a, just a fantastic topic, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here uh, for us. I'm reminded of this story I heard from a preacher. Uh, it was like a, you know, like one of these old audio sermons. It's all crackly and hard to understand from decades ago. And then he was talking about how decades before that, this event happened. So it must have been like 100, 120 years ago. I think it was the first decade of the 1900s. So like 1905 or six, there was a missions conference and they did the first one where they got all these missionaries together and, and all these students, all these college kids who wanted to go be missionaries. And this was back like during like the big movement of mission work as well that has marked a lot of the Western church. Well, anyway, they get together and they get all these stats together and say, here's all these like people groups who need Jesus and they rallied everybody and they were all excited to say like, if we present the need, then all these people are gonna stand up and like run to it. And what they found after the conference was there wasn't really a lot of movement in the hearts of people. And that was dumbfounding for the organizers. Well, the following year, they got everyone together again and some good old crusty faithful preacher stands up and he just decides to preach about Jesus the whole conference. And he preaches about Jesus and then they had this overwhelming response and everybody's going saying like, this is who Jesus is, this is what he has done in my life, so I have to go tell people over and over again. And that is what I wanna remind us of. When it comes to where God has us, where we live, work, and play, or whatever obstacles you might have, whether things I've named or things that are, you know, God's bringing to your own mind, no matter where we are on this conversation, when it comes to the Great Commission, if we fix our eyes on Christ, he fills us with the clarity and the passion and the awareness of what to do and how to do it and the faith to walk in that. And I wanna encourage you to do that. So as you leave tomorrow, or I mean today, but as you wake up tomorrow and you find yourself like, all right, here's what I got going on for the day and what the Lord's gonna be doing with you or whatever it may look like, and just asking him to go before you, I wanna encourage you, I wanna implore you actually to fix your eyes on Christ and allow that just to pierce through whatever it might be with all the different, let's just call them obstacles that might be in your mind on that. So that's what we have, it's a great commission. I, I wanna preach on this for like three hours, but I don't, I don't have that time. Um, how we're going to conclude this time is we're gonna pray for our mission teams who are going out this summer. We have four teams going to different locations, West Virginia, Columbia, Alaska, and then Kenya. And if you're on that team, would you come on up here? We're gonna pray over you. We're gonna commission you. Our West Virginia team leaves at the end of this week. And then we have our, uh, the other teams are all leaving over the next eight weeks. And I wanna pray for you as our worship team gets up here to, to lead us in this, in this song. All right, who else is on these teams? Good. Do you see anybody? <laughs> They're all sleeping in. They're coming to the next service. No, this is good. 
Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got West Virginia. I'm on the Alaska team, so I'll be the rep there. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So uh, would you all stand as we pray? I wanna pray for these teams. We're gonna pray for each of these folks as if we're like commissioning, calling, sending, and uh, Neil's gonna lead us in that. Do you have a mic? Great, I'll let you pray for us. Father, we, uh, we just lift up these guys and gals to you this morning. Lord, uh, the West Virginia team is taking off tomorrow, and uh, we pray that as they begin their journey, Lord, you would be prepping their minds and their hearts. Lord, people that they'll be in contact with there, Lord, uh, we just pray for favor and anointing. Uh, we pray that you would allow there to be divine interactions, even along the way, Lord, um, and, and just for everybody going uh, this summer, we pray the same. Lord, we pray that there would be um, just preparatory work being done now so that as these teams get on site, there would be breakthrough, there would be uh, wisdom gained, there would be uh, kind of uh, just proclamation of faith in their in, within the inter interactions that they have when they get on the grounds, God. Um, we pray that, uh, that as the West Virginia team serves and helps uh, build and, and kind of add on to what the Zara House mission is doing, that you would allow this to be a safe place for uh, women who have been sex trafficked to recover, to recoup, and to get back into the um, kind of normal rhythms of life. And we pray for freedom to be found in that place through the hands, through the, the work that's being done through the hands here, Lord, uh, and in our Kenya, Columbia, Alaska teams, we pray that there would be kind of divine interactions there. We pray in all of these teams that there would be uh, people who um, who are contacted, Lord, who would be, right, I mean, who, whose right now destination is hell, uh, that after this summer, their destination would be heaven. Uh, we pray that you would use these willing hearts to, to go and be a part of what you've called them to in a big way, that there wouldn't be any hold back, that there would be kind of just full on, uh, you know, full speed ahead, uh, just longing to serve you in a, in a big way. We pray for boldness, Lord. Uh, we pray for boldness. We pray for fullness to be experienced within the lives of those serving within us as a church as we send these people, Lord. Uh, we pray that this would be an encouragement to us as a church to continue to rally together to serve in our communities and to continue to rally together to serve abroad we in, uh, in other parts of the country, Lord. We pray that you'd be glorified, that your name would be made known, and ultimately that, uh, that your kingdom would be a little bit more crowded at the end of the summer than it was today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. As we conclude, I've asked the team to lead us in a song. Uh, we, we don't have the words on the screen. I want this to be more reflective, you might know the song, you could sing it along or hum or something, but uh, use it as a chance to allow your mind to uh, be prayerful on who it is that God is using you. Who is he sending you to? L locally here, uh, maybe globally, and what that looks like. And um, last thought on this, I, I, I've just really treasured how the Lord has uh, in his timing and his planning over all these years, he gave us the name Legacy Church. And I thought, you know, 
I work together with all these pastors and locally, we were texting this morning even, just encouraging one another. And so we're all on the same team. It's not a competition. But my heart is to the degree we can, to the degree you can do this in a humble way, is to set the tone for what it looks like to be a sent people. And to, to, to function like a thermostat for the other churches to, to lead us into this is what it looks like to be part of the Great Commission locally and globally. And let us not get stuck in any of those obstacles. I mean, another one I'd even say would have been just getting so inward focused, so consumed with yourself and your comfort zone that you can't even look outside of your walls or whatever it might be. So as we sing this, I encourage you to, uh, you can sing along if you'd like, uh, but also use it as a chance to just reflect and to pray, and then we'll be dismissed.
That's great. Let me read for us the end of the book of Jude. It says, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you all from falling away and bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is our God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory and majesty and power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. And we say amen. Thanks for being here this morning.